The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. everybody welcome to the culture pop podcast i'm steve mason along with sue kalinsky thursday february 2 in the morning as we do this and a great guest coming up sebastian roche who's from the yellowstone prequel 1923 sue Baloo, what's going on how you been i've been good I'm good just uh busy and uh that's good it's better yeah that me. is good yeah yeah so um what's your main dish right now what are you what are you working the hardest because you've got so many projects what's what are you working the hardest on um, probably the silver dock. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I've been, uh, you know, it's so interesting and I wish that I would have heard this podcast before she passed away. Mm. She co-hosted a podcast with a bunch of comedians. Wow. And it was all about, um, basically politics and, um, you know, with, 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 uh, you know, a, a, with us, with us, with a bent on, on humor. Yeah. Right. But, but it, everybody was very informed and she was so informed. It's just, it blows my mind how, how smart she was and how relevant she was up until the day she died. Was it a bunch um, of Trump voters? I'm totally kidding. <clears throat> so, you know, got like Provenza, you know, yeah. you oh, know yeah, what she would right. do is she had a co-host who was a comic and then she would have, Sometimes one comic guest, sometimes she would have a couple of comic guests nice. and they would just kind of take on different, um, different Issues. topics. Yeah. And, um, you know, she had a great sense of humor. So is some of this going to wind up being in your uh, documentary? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So she only did, um, six of them because she started to do it, uh, before the pandemic. And then the, when the pandemic happened, she, you know, she bagged it for a while and then she was going to start it up again and then she passed away. Ah, that's too bad. That's too bad. Well, good. I'm glad that's uh, additional material for the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been listening to hours and hours of stuff. So, um, nice. but it, it's, but it's, it's great. And, um, yeah. So anyway, I'm, cool. I'm just, I'm just sad that I didn't get to talk to her about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's too but, bad. But you know, it's part of it. Got a release date on this documentary yet? Oh no, no. We're we're just in such the early state. We're still interviewing people. And uh at the end of the month, my my partner's coming back and we're gonna shoot a bunch of stuff. Oh, cool. So cool. we finally uh we nailed uh Mark Marin. Oh, nice. So that's WTF really great. podcast. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's in that movie that uh, to Leslie, the one that got Andrea Riseborough nominated in some mysterious way. It's crazy how people are really pissed off about it. But um, a lot of actors have been champion, you know, her film, you know, they've been holding screenings in their homes and and, uh, really kind of like fighting for her, you know, to they fought for her to get nominated. And it was actually one of my topics. It's like, why is everybody so pissed off about this? Okay, it's a good question. 
So Andrea Riseborough nominated for Best Actress for a movie called Two Leslie, which came and went with no fanfare whatsoever. Its worldwide gross was like $20,000. Came out earlier this year. And all of a sudden, during the Oscar campaign season, and believe me, it's a campaign, right? There's Mm -hmm. ads and for your consideration billboards and all that stuff. Um, She engineered a campaign along with an actress named Mary McCormick, who is married to the director of Two Leslie. I think his name is Matthew Morris. And what they did was it's, it's not, it's not within the rules for actors to tweet support for somebody for best actor, best actress, anything like that. You're not allowed to go on social media and say, vote for Andrea Riseborough. Right. But that's what happened. They did. All these people made social media posts in support of Andrea Riseborough. And that's what got the the uh, antenna up of the Academy. Right. I mean, what, what do you think? They did break this rule where you're not supposed to endorse candidates uh, or uh, uh, performances for Oscars. They broke the rule. So, but you're right. A lot of people had private screenings for it. People did champion it. It's a grassroots campaign, but that social media aspect is the part that's against the rules. But they decided to allow her to be nominated. It would have been terrible to have pulled her nomination right. entirely. And and the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't know her here, but apparently she's a very famous actress in Great Britain. Oh yeah, I saw her. She was in Birdman, the mm-hmm. uh, Michael Keaton movie Birdman. She's done some stuff. I want to say she played Wallace Simpson in a movie too. I can't remember which one. It might have been the one with Colin Farrell where she played uh, Wallace Simpson. Mm-hmm. ran away with whatever king that was edward i think it was i think i saw her in that but i i've not really seen her very much mm-hmm. but uh and now i wonder if because they've this whole investigation has sort of tarred her or besmirched her i wonder if people are more likely to vote for her for best actress now yeah i i to tell you the truth i don't think she has a chance against kate blanchett see i think she doesn't have a chance against michelle yo or Michelle Yeoh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. going to come think, down to those you two. Think, you think, yeah, be, it's going to be between those two, yeah. I mean, she's definitely not going to win, but I kind of love the idea that, you know, the movie didn't make a lot of money and a lot of people don't know who she is. It was kind of my argument a little bit about um, the actor who was in Red Rocket, uh, to, you know, that Simon he did Rex. Simon Rex, that he did not um, get nominated. Um, a lot of people, you know, had I, I, I've never seen him in anything, and... You know, he he was really, really phenomenal. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, I've seen him in porn. Oh, the real one. The real one. Yeah. The real one. He did yeah. real porn. Oh, no, I know. Because this was fake porn, right? Oh, you're talking about Simon. Simon you're Rex. T- you're talking about the actor did real porn? The actor did real porn, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Because yes. his character is based on a character that did porn. Did porn. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, uh, it's art, art imitating, imitating life. life a little bit there. Yeah, I think it will come down to Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh. I think, I you know, the more I look at it, and we'll talk about this as we get closer to the Oscars, it just feels like everything everywhere all at once is like on the verge of kind of sweeping the Academy Awards. I think yeah. Kiwi Kwan is going to win for mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor. I would not count out Jamie Lee Curtis for Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. Right now, it looks like Angela Bassett. But Jamie Lee Curtis has got a long career, has worked with a lot of people, would be kind of an achievement 
lifetime achievement sort of award. So I think everything everywhere all at once is going to do great at the Oscars. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so the big news is uh, Marie Kondo is a messy person. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? After all of that, you know, I actually started when when that show came out because I'm I'm very neat and I'm pretty anal and so is Tom. Okay. So Tom didn't do what what I did, but I kind of followed her thing, not to the letter. I didn't like talk to the clothes, and I didn't, you know, I had no, I, I didn't, I didn't have that that um, verbal attachment or detachment from anything that so I. So we should get say Maria. Marie Kondo's this woman who did a show on I don't remember even where about helping I think to, it was on Netflix helping people to tidy up their lives and throw all your clothes on the bed and only anything that sparks your joy put back in the closet and anything doesn't just send a goodwill that that kind of thing right 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 um so and it's also a certain type of way that you fold the clothes and yes. I mean it was really detailed and then it comes out the other day after her the birth of her third child. She was like, I'm done. It's not that important anymore. Yeah, she's just like, fuck it. It's too much work. I posted a picture that I found of a messy room. And I posted it on Facebook. And I said, because it had bunk beds and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Crap all over the place. <laughs> I said, that's Marie Kondo's kid's room. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it's, it's... It's kind of her old act, right? Like, that was her... spark your does that sweater spark your joy all that kind of stuff and now she just chucks the whole thing i know it's like it's total bullshit (laughs) yeah yeah completely made up bullshit exactly yeah Yeah, Uh, but she made a little money at it now she's got kids in her house yeah she wrote a book and you know she had a bestseller house is like a pig she's a hoarder you know it's it's like i mean it's 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 this is kind of a weird analogy but it's like you know every now and then uh, you know, things will come out where it's like, oh, drink a lot of coffee. And then like, you know, the next year it's like, oh, coffee gives you cancer. Or it's like, oh, drink red wine. And it's yes. like, don't drink red don't wine. Don't drink red wine. It's like, shut up. There are too yeah. many studies. Yeah, exactly. Too many studies. Yeah, but the Marie Kondo thing, that that was really, and by the way, I'm not a neat person at all. Um, Juan is very neat. I am not neat. Um, my closet is right behind here. You would be just stunned. At what a mess my closet is. Where I so keep you just all my sho- shove every, you just sh- everything's just shoved in there. Shove it all in. It's kind of in stacks. Like there's a Ram stack of clothes. There's a Dodgers stack of. Cl- I'm a grown up, by the way. A Dodgers <laughs> stack of clothes. A Los Angeles King stack. There's my USC stuff. So it's all Lakers stuff. It's all team stuff in my closet. So when you say it's a stack, is it not folded? It's just a like a pile. Is it more of a pile? It's more of a pile, right? Okay. So there's a Lakers pile, there's a Rams pile, there's a, like it starts out really good. Like at the beginning, it was perfectly folded stacks, and then as time goes on, it just becomes a a wad of clothing that's related to a particular team in a pile. No, that's my right. life. Okay, so um, do you know that Netflix is doing a reality show based on Squid Games? Have you no, read this? No. Now, I didn't watch Squid Games. I know people die when they're trying to wipe out their debt, right? Yeah, trying to wipe out their debt. And in order to do that, they have to be part of this group where they all live together and they have to do these uh, childhood games like, you know, red light, green light, you know, okay. all this kind of stuff. 
Um, but then it gets more intense and the pot gets higher and higher and people are brutally murdered. I mean, it is just horrific, right? Wow. Yeah. So when I read that Netflix was doing a reality show, it's like, you know what? They're so, they're so misrepresenting themselves because it's not a reality show based on squid games because they're not killing anybody. Yeah, but aren't they eliminating people? Isn't that the equivalent of killing someone in a reality show? No, I mean, they're saying that it's based on squid games. I know it's like inspired by squid games, but my, my feeling is that, you know, if this was, you think of them of the movie network yes. where, they, where the reality part was like completely outrageous. Yes. And when that came out in like 1975, everybody was like, Oh, this is so ridiculous. This would never happen. And now of course the explosion of reality TV, you have like, you know, milf manor, you know, you yeah, have milf like manor. Can crazy, you believe you that? Know, yeah. On, on insane. But to me, it's kind of like saying we're going to do a reality show uh, based on jaws, but instead of a shark, <laughs> We're going to have a giant flounder. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're it's right. like, or we're going to do, we're going to do a reality show based on the Titanic, but no iceberg. No iceberg. Yes. And there's going to be lifeboats for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is a misrepresentation. I think, you know, they're, they're obviously trying to, you know, drum up uh, excitement and, and uh, you know, it's like, it's like that show Naked and Afraid. I don't know what anybody who's in it is afraid of. Is this I mean, the I, one that's going out in the middle of wilderness? Yeah, they're going nothing. in the middle of the world. And, you know, it's like, oh, if anything happens. And it's like, what do you mean if anything happens? There's a crew. There's camera people there and producers. You're right. You're right. You know? I mean, if anything happened, there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, if that were me, first of all, I'd be more afraid of being naked. Yes. Just, yes. just being naked. Sure. You know, or walking around barefoot. Right. Through the woods. Yeah. I get a splinter or you know something, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, if the bear comes up, the first AD just throws his body in front of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or snakes. Snakes. snakes I'd be afraid bad. of snakes. I'd be afraid of being naked in front of a snake. Yeah, there you go. Put those or two the, together. Put those two together. Yeah. But anyway, so it's, you know, it's all it's all crap. So a moment on network, which is my second favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the ridiculous reality stuff on network is nothing compared to the ridiculous reality stuff we have today. It's like network, literally, Patty Chavsky wrote the screenplay, literally told the future. Yes. And honestly, the future is far worse than the the movie was. Oh, my God. If he, wherever he is, (laughs) if he ever knew what he spawned. Yeah. I mean, it is insanity. Well, it's, it's one of those things like every day, not every day, but every now and then someone will say, did you see this show? And I, and I say to them, you're just screwing with me. It's not a show. And they said, no, 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 it really is a show. Like when Pimple Popper came out. No, there's like, no such show as Pimple Popper. Yeah, there is. No, there's not. Yes, there is. There's a show about people popping pimples? Yes. That's, that's, bo- a, that's a lot of onomatopoeia, I think. No, not. <laughs> what is that where you say? Pimple Popper, yeah. Pimple no. Popper people. Yeah, there's a show. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And, and there are people. It's probably that on the I Learning know. Channel too. No, it's not on the Learning Channel. Well, the Learning Channel is where Milf Manor's on. Oh yeah, that's true. That's TLC true. is like garbage. yeah, TLC. Yeah, 
That's like it's on PBS or something. <laughs> no. I mean, it's like crazy. It or, or like Nat Geo, you know, like <laughs> like network. You know, can you imagine? It's it's just ridiculous. And yeah. that's the thing that's crazy too. A lot of these networks where they used to, you know, be very specific, like Nat Geo. I don't know if Nat Geo's doing stuff that's that's so ridiculous, but every everything is morphed now. Like you could see things, like you say, on TLC that you would never have seen on TLC, or you never would have seen on Lifetime, or you know, they're they're all it's it's like it's like fair game again on on all the networks now. Yeah, there's I there's agree. not like a specific kind of theme of what type of show is a TLC show anymore. So there really is a thing about Pimple popping people, people who are like popping uh, giant pimples and I guess boils and oh, it's God. it's disgusting. Who is the audience for that? I know people that that I'm friends with that are like, I love that show, and I'm like, <laughs> what do you? How could you love that show? It's That's so disgusting, so ridiculous, <laughs> so ridiculous. No idea is out of bounds now. You yeah. can throw anything out there. People say, yeah, I'll green light that shit. Yeah. Well, that and rebooting, you know, the rebooting is getting so out of hand. Although I heard that the Night Court reboot is actually pretty good. Really? Yeah, I saw a headline that said it's the reboot that nobody wanted that actually turned out to be very funny. Oh, I just saw something about um, Marsha Warfield is 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 uh, is. Yeah, so she's famous. back. Yeah, she's, she's not back. back. Oh, she's not back. She's not on it. Oh, Mm-mm. oh, that's too bad. It's La Roquette, and, uh, who won like four Emmys for it, John La Roquette, and it's uh, supposed to be Harry Stone's daughter that oh. is now the judge. Oh, okay. So she took the place. I forget. What's the name of the actor from New Orleans? Harry, Ander- Harry ha- Anderson. Yeah. Harry Anderson. He was great. He was great. Yeah. Never liked the show the first time. I'm not going to watch it again. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. we have a guest, unless we have a guest. On. And then we will be all over it and, and we, then will we will love it. We will love it, love it, love it. Exactly. That's our job here. That's our <laughs> job here. Um, all right. So our guest today is, has appeared in films like Last of the Mohicans, The Peacemaker, Beowulf, A Walk Among the Tombstones. His television work includes Fringe, Supernatural, Criminal Minds, Man in the High Castle, and on and on. His latest project is Taylor Sheridan's Yellowstone prequel, 1923. Sebastian Roche joins us. Sebastian, thanks so much for doing this. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So we'll definitely get to 1923, which is gripping stuff. Uh, you play yes. a, a real villain, but, but first, <laughs> your Wikipedia page says... That from age 12 to 18, you lived on a sailboat with your parents and brothers traveling to the Mediterranean, Africa, South America, and the Caribbean, uh, that you speak uh, multiple languages. First of all, did you really live in a sail? You can't always trust what's on Wikipedia. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that, that's actually true. I, 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 um, I did. You know, by the age of uh, 12, my dad was a corporate man. We used to sail, you know, on weekends at times, and he decided to sell the house. He was like, we're selling the house, we're buying a boat, and we're leaving on a boat. That was uh, way back in the day, 1977. Uh, so we're talking, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we set off from France and, you know, pretty much went all through the Mediterranean, the west uh, coast of Africa, to the Canaries, then crossed the Atlantic, 
to the Caribbean and spent some time in South America. And, but mostly our base was in the Caribbean. So for six years, yeah, I've been my, my formative years from 12 to 18, I was, uh, on a sailing boat and, uh, and it wasn't, you know, people think that it was like the luxury life. It was not that at all. Within a year, I think we were broke and sailing is not, you know, like living on a big yacht, you know, cause people are like, Oh, you lived on a yacht. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, you're, you know, conditions, sailing conditions are, are, are a tough grind. You know, uh, uh, I do racing here out of the marina, but, uh, but it was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. So know, what's living. the impact of having your formative years on a sailboat when other, other kids would normally be in school and all that kind of stuff? Well, I think the, you know, before I left, I was someone who was, uh, uh, you know, I had moments of insecurity like we all do uh, as kids, but then you find yourself on a machine that you have to basically, you know, my dad couldn't do everything himself. So we would do nearly everything on the boats and we loved doing it, you know, hoisting sails, hoisting the anchor, trimming the sails, uh, steering, you know, uh, during storms or, you know, crossing the Atlantic for 21 days at sea. That's quite, you know, it's something that's quite, um, different changing sales during, you know, getting hit by schools, you acquire a breadth of uh, experience mixed with responsibility uh, very, very early on. So it gives you a sort of uh, baggage to sort of uh, adapt to any situation. Uh, even though, you know, being in a sort of schooling system, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, gives you a, a, another form of experience you know, of dealing with other people. This is totally different. You're dealing with the elements. You're dealing with something that's very, very tough. Uh, but at the same time, it's the most extraordinary adventure for your imaginative mind in the sense that, you know, you, you encounter incredible cultures. You, um, you, you have this feeling of a sense of wonder every time you arrive you see an island in the distance and you arrive at anchor and you discover it you feel like a you know one of these discovery that one of these uh, uh explorers uh, even though we were in 1977 um and it gives you yeah it, it it i think it makes you grow up very quickly and um on top of that in 1977 there was nothing you know no phones or anything so my dad was very smart to to get great books on the boat and I was a voracious reader uh, uh, on the boat. I would get my hands on any book I could, I, I could get, you know, and my grandfather would send me all the great classics of literature, every, you know, at different ports, I would receive a box, you know, which was wonderful. I, I was always so excited to get those. It makes you appreciate the little things in life uh, that you kind of take for granted, you know, like taking a hot shower when you arrive at a yacht club <clears> and, or you sneak in, you know, and I, uh, so it's an incredible formative ground, very fertile ground, uh, for your imagination and for, for growing up a little faster. I lost all, all these feelings of insecurity, insecurity very quickly because I developed a passion for sailing, of course, and it's not easy to sail. And then I became a, an avid, uh, a spear fisherman. So I would go get the food wow. for my family, you know, so I would like, I'd be like diving at, you know, 60 feet and, you know, swimming with sharks and everything. And, uh, seeing also, you know, discovering the underwater world, which is another form of adventure, you know, when you're 
swimming with massive rays, uh, poking, basking sharks in the bum and, you know, for fun. So you, <laughs> you sort of live this, this wild adventure, uh, mixed with, with a thirst for knowledge. Uh, yeah, it, it, it it's the best formative experience, I think. It's so cool. I mean, you know, these past years, you've been seeing people who are, um, you know, living in a, in a camper or people that have uh, converted a bus into a living space. And people are finding all these really cool alternative ways. I read the other day about, um, they, they were, they took the, uh, this, uh, like one of the first, I guess it was like an Airbus, you know, what is like the queen of, 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 of airplanes. And, uh, there are people that have actually con- converted planes into uh, yeah, a yeah. space. But what you did, I have a friend who, uh, yeah. who, who's an editor and he and his family traveled around the world, uh, with their children. And the coolest thing, they went from country to country within a year on a sailboat or. Not on a sailboat. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah, yeah, that's they live in amazing. one particular, you know, yeah. place. But what they did with their kids, they put their kids in, in schools in every country that they went to. Oh, so when wonderful. They in India, they went to a school in India. When they wow. went to Spain, they went to a school in Spain. And like you say, you speak a lot of languages. Their yeah. children are the most incredible kids I've ever met in my life. They oh, are fearless wonderful. and yeah. they are smart and they are worldly. Um, the, the little girl, I guess they were, ha- she, she speaks Spanish yeah, and yeah. there were workers that came to the house to do some work and they were speaking to her in English and she'd look at them and said, Spanish only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, 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 it's, it's wonderful. You know, sometimes we, we, stay in our little bubble. And I think it's important. I always said, you know, you don't have to leave. It's not, you know, not everyone can do it. But if you can, it's a, it's an extraordinarily rich experience. Uh, I always say, though, you know, you can do it, you know, after you finished high school, you know, I worked, uh, I did, I finished high school, I worked a shitty job. Uh, I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, but I worked, sure. I, yeah, you know, I worked a, a, a crappy job for a, a few months saved the money and went and traveled, you know, um, hitchhiking all over Europe. I think it's, it, it would, if every kid had the opportunity to do that, I know it's not always easy, but even, you know, I had no money. I had literally nothing and I actually managed to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a tradition in Australia. I mean, every, everywhere in the world you go, you'll find a Aussie or a New Zealander and you're like, how, how are you there? And, you know, they take these gap years and same in yeah. England and, and I think, it, you know, I always said, you know, I think it's a pity not, you know, uh, passports are not free. They should be free. And they're given to everyone, you know, who, who thinks that they can't travel. And I think it would widen their horizons. And, and, and you know, I believe traveling the world uh, makes you a sort of more accepting person and more tolerant person. It really does. You, you meet, you know, you meet the most humble and generous people, usually the poorest, usually the people who have the least are the most generous that we've, that we've encountered. Extraordinary people who literally were like, Oh, we loved, you know, they would show up and they, we love your story. We heard about your story and we'd love to invite you in our home. And, you know, that's what I took from, from my travels is how unbelievably accepting and generous people are, you know. I, I wanted to say one thing, you know, in the Jewish religion, and, and it wasn't happening when I was growing up, but there's a thing called birthright. Do you know about yeah. this? Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my nieces, um, 
Oh, yes, went that's to, great. They went, went to, to Israel. Israel. They were able yeah. to go to Israel for yeah. free. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Steve, did I you think, know about that? No, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's up to a certain age. I think it's up until I think you're 21 or something yeah, like yeah. that. What is you it can called go. in, in uh, Hebrew? It's, uh, I can't remember. It's, there's a certain word for birthright. But yeah, yeah. I remember going to Israel. I was fascinated with Israel. Oh, my God. What an extraordinary place. And the whole surrounding. Because I am I love history, you know. And of course, we're kind of talking about the region of the birth of civilization. And it's fascinating to go there. It really is. You know, and uh, the people were incredibly welcoming. Same there. I remember being, you know, not far from, I, I was invited to people's homes. You know, I would just, I'm very gregarious. I love to talk to people. So yeah, it, you know, there, there's, a, there's an incredible generousness that we, we might not, you know, in the, in, in the sort of more, I mean, it's, it's the Western world, but you know, might not be as welcoming, you know, it, it's interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the so, rich of the country. <laughs> so I want to, there's so much I want to ask you about. Yes. Um, yes. Sorry. So no, no, please. Um, so you, I'm kind of a Broadway nerd. I, I yes. love, I love seeing shows. Um, and you appeared on Broadway with Al Pacino in, uh, Salome. Yes. Um, and I mean, that's Al Pacino. I mean, that's Pacino. Uh, what's <laughs> yeah, yeah. it, what's it like to share the stage with, with a guy like that? I mean, it was, that was the most extraordinary experience. This was my first theater gig in America. Wow. And I, I remember going to an audition for, for this guy called Arvin Brown, who was a wonderful man. He was the artistic director of the Long Wharf Theater, you know, New Haven, great theater, great, uh, uh, public theater, you know. And, uh, I remember auditioning for him for the role of Yokanan, who's John the Baptist in Salome, which was a considerable role for me as a young actor. And I remember. <laughs> Arvin saying, yeah, that was great. That was great, man. Uh, so tomorrow we're gonna, we're, you're going to meet Al. We're going to go, you, you're going to come to, to his place. He had a sort of loft on, um, in the twenties in, in New York. And, and I remember going there and, you know, I'd seen everything that Al Pacino had done. Dog yes. Day afternoon, everything. I mean, of course he's, you know, in France, he's even more of like a living God of, of the stage because I knew about his love of theater and, and cinema. So for me, it was the most surreal experience to have a, Hey, Sebastian, how you doing? You know, you, you walk in and there's Al Pacino. You know, the word does, it doesn't make sense anyway, because you've always seen him above, you know, on a poster above a title and watched him in Serpico and everything. And there he is, you know, this yeah. was the time of Carlito's way. You know, it's just about to come out. And I remember auditioning for him and being so, so nervous, but he couldn't have been nicer, you know. And I did the scene once and he was like, okay, yeah. You know, it was, that was it. And I got cast and that was, that was the greatest school for acting mm. I'd, I'd ever experienced. It was, it was really, really a lesson in, I, it, watching him rehearse made me a better actor by, by miles. And, uh, that was one of the great experiences in my life, you know, just performing with Al Pacino. It was just incredible. And they were so generous to me. They even put my name above the title. Nice. His. And, uh, and it was actually not on Broadway. It was at the, uh, it was just out, outside of New York, but it was, you know, huge venue in, in Stanford and Hart, Hartford or Stanford. Yeah. And, um, it was just extraordinary because then people, the people that came to, to watch, I mean, it was I can just imagine, like, yeah. 
And it was fascinating to watch his process. You know, he was fearless in rehearsal. You know, he would attack the text in such a beautiful way. And his relationship to props, you know, his relationship to, 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 to things around him and to the word were just the way he, he searched and he tried to, to better himself even in the role. And then, you know, we, we, we did the, um, the, the dress rehearsal. And, you know, I went full blast and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm, Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. There's sorry. Sorry. That's me. Uh, I went full blast in my performance and there was Al doing like, I'm going to do this. The moon has a strange look. Does she not? And, uh, and I said, Oh yeah, it's a great performance, but is he not? And then the next day, opening night, bam, Al literally fired on all cylinders. And I was like, what a legend. What a legend. He was, he was setting up all his moments. It was a dress rehearsal. Yeah. You know, dress rehearsal is what it is. It's, you're setting everything. And it was a massive lesson in how to contain, contain, contain. And then when the time comes to give everything, give everything. And oh, what a masterful performance mm -hmm. every single day. Cause I, you know, Yokanan dies like one, one nearly halfway through. So I would just watch, you know, I would just watch Al. Al mm -hmm. do his extraordinary performance. He was just. And the relaxation, you know, it teaches you relaxation. Relaxation in acting is so important. The razor sharp focus and really, ah, oh, incredible. Yeah. Truly incredible. What a gift. <laughs> so you worked with one of my favorite directors, um, Paolo Sorrentino, who. Oh my God. Oh, I'm such Paolo. a huge fan of the great beauty. Ah, oh. I mean, it, it, that for me was. Uh, that was just so it's extraordinary sometimes when you you will sometimes you 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 have a desire in your head and you you're sort of willing yourself into thinking that you're going to work with someone extraordinary and that was the case with paolo when i saw la grande bellezza because i speak italian too and i love the italian language i love everything italian and i love rome and the way he portrays rome is probably one of the greatest or, you know, well, I mean, it's those beautiful sweeping shots that are just sort of out of this world. Yeah, they're pure poetry. His depiction of Rome is pure poetry, and that's a credit to Luca Bigazzi, which who's his uh, DP, his cinematographer, uh, and him, of course. He has this way of filming shots, and actually, while you're shooting them, when we were shooting, the, you're talking about the young Pope, uh, you could feel the weight of his art. I remember there was a scene when I was like, I was next to uh, uh, Jude, Jude Law and Diane Keaton and these extraordinary Italian actors, truly extraordinary actors, you know. And we were sort of, there was a scene where we were sort of, after we'd seen someone die, uh, James Cromwell, we were all in tears walking out of, of seeing him and he put on the, the wind machines and we did this sweeping shot. And I don't know what, I felt the sort of, I don't know. I don't know if I could put it that way, but there was like a spirituality in the shot. Mm. You could feel the shot. I could visualize it because he's such a visual director, you know. And uh, yeah, oh my my God, what a treat! I couldn't believe that I got it. I I, I remember that my French agent said, "Hey, you want to audition for 
Sorrentino, and I was like, yeah, my God. <laughs> yeah. Because I'd seen, you know, I'd seen uh, Consequences del Amor, uh, Consequences of Love, and Il Divo, Great Beauty. Oh, Il Divo, so yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what's weird is before I saw Great, no, after I saw Great Beauty, I read This Must Be the Place. And I thought, this is one of the best written scripts I've ever... This was the one with Sean Penn, right? Yeah, yeah. And I auditioned for it. I can't remember who I auditioned for. I think I auditioned for Sean Penn's role. I mean, of course he got it. But, (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) but, um, yeah, yeah. What a treat. To to work with great masters, you know, they're not even directors anymore. They're masters, you know. And he's always, like, super relaxed. He's, like, with his... uh, with a cigarillo, he's always, he's like, yeah, Sebastiano, è perfetto. Si, facciamo così. It's one of the calmest sets. You wouldn't think in Italy, this would be one of the calmest sets. Super calm set. They're all on their HF, on their mics, and it's a very calm set. Because uh, he's chill. Yeah. He's like, I, I know oh, what that's... I want to do, you know. I, okay, we do this. Yeah, we'll And the, uh, him and Luca have worked on so many films together. The only regret that I had is, for me, he's one of the greatest actors in the world, uh, Tony Servillo, who was the star of The yes, Great Beauty. Yes, I really, really, he, he doesn't want to speak English, really. He's, you know, he's, a tr- he's an ex- what an artist, you know. He was doing a play, so he was like, nah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and uh, I would have loved to have worked with him. Yeah, because, yeah. Wow. I mean, Jude was. Oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. Amazing, yeah. Amazing. So you've so as so, so let's stay on all the great directors that you've worked with. So you worked okay. with Steven Spielberg. Yes. And, yeah, um, yeah. So talk about your experience with working with Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it was a different experience because we were doing a motion capture film, but nevertheless, it was just so incredible because uh, it was Steven Spielberg and and uh, uh, Peter Jackson who was on the massive Skype screen. And so we were doing this, uh, the adventures of Tintin, you know, which I'm very familiar with having grown in France because, you know, Tintin is hu- a huge deal in France. And it's still the same, you know, the great, the great masters of that craft are usually the most interesting, the, the, the most calm, the most generous. And, you know, what I found with, with, uh, Stephen, if I can call him Stephen, <laughs> uh, it, it was his, unbelievable uh, uh he was incredibly confident with his actors confident of their of their craft so he would literally let you improvise if you wanted to you know he would really say hey what do you propose what do you think we could do and i find that so extraordinary coming from someone who's such a master who i've admired for so long and and you know it was the same razor sharp uh razor sharp uh, uh, approach to filmmaking, but at the same time with so much ge- generosity mixed with it and so much, I don't know, poetry and imagination. And, and yeah, once again, working with, with a great director is, is a gift. You learn so much from how they approach, how much they respect the people they work with, how, how really humble they are but knows exactly what he wants at the mm-hmm. same time, you know? So it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a lesson again in acting and directing because I'm always interested also in the way the camera moves and 
I mean, I, I would think as an actor to have a director like that has got to be so liberating because, you know, on one hand, it is the director's vision, but you are the actor living in the character. Yeah, yeah. So and he lets you, and he, he lets you go. If you propose, you know, he loves it when you propose things. So I, I propose different actors with different acts, you know, um, different characters with different accents. Cause we, I played a couple of characters, it being motion capture. So I played a character speaking Spanish because I can speak Spanish. And, you know, I think, did I add some French? And then I, I was like talking like this, you know, talking <laughs> like, and he's, and he, you know, if he likes it, he, he loves it. You know, he's, what I love is the sort of a playful aspect that he has too, as well. Very serious. You know, this was a different type of film, I think, than, you know, Schindler's List, for instance, or, or, uh, uh, masterful or, or saving private Ryan, which requ you know, requires incredible focus technique and, and hard movies to do and to watch. But so this was more whimsical because you, but nevertheless, you still had that razor sharp focus and yeah. experience and generosity. Fabulous. So let's talk about 1923. Taylor Sheridan's yes. the guy I followed for a long time, uh, before Yellowstone. Uh, oh, yes. Hell or high water. Wind Sicario. River is just an amazing Sicario. I mean, yeah. what a what an incredible catalog of movies he's done, and obviously he's creating and running this Yellowstone universe. Um, yes, were you familiar with with Yellowstone or three oh, before? Was, was I familiar with it? I I literally have been following him since the start, since Sicario, and had unbelievable uh, admiration for his writing because I love writing. You know, writing for me is the key to everything. If you have a great script, it's really hard to screw it up. Uh, uh, you know, if, if you have a brilliant script, you'll get brilliant performances and you'll get a brilliant director. And usually it, it's hard to screw it up. Yeah. And so I saw Sicario and thought to myself, who the hell? First of all, the movie was extraordinary. Denis, no. Villeneuve's, Denis Villeneuve's direction. The acting was supremely good yep. due to that great writing and i thought who wrote this script and then i found out it was this guy who was on sons of anarchy who used to be an actor and i thought wow wow this is a guy i need to follow so when hell and high water came along i've seen it many times and i thought wow again this man is incredibly talented he's a real wordsmith and and then of course rushed to see wind river that he directed mm. and mm. acted in and of course see i've seen all of yellowstone 1883 I gobbled up everything that he's written and directed because, you know, he also is a great director, you know, as you can see in Wind River and a lot of the Yellowstone episodes. So when 1923 came along, I was like, I need to be part of this universe. I've w been wanting to be part of this universe for a long time. And, you know, I'd auditioned for another role, didn't get it. And then Father Renault came along and I was like, I'm going to get this. I will. It's as if I had an image board in my brain. And I thought to myself, Taylor Sheridan that I need to be part of this universe because, you know, it's when you have great writing, it, it's such a delight as an actor. It, it enables you to inhabit a role in a, in a sort of, how should I put it in a, in a heightened way, you know, uh, in a way you have to do less work because it's so good, hmm. but, but doing less work means that you have to be more subtle. So you have to be incredibly focused and, 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 and it gives you that responsibility to, to, to be the, the, the sort of vessel for this brilliant form of writing for this art, you know, to, to, to be respectful of the art that he's created. So 
yeah, I mean, I know I'm not trying to be pompous, but it really, it was extraordinary. You know, that first day of shooting, I was incredibly nervous. You know, it was my first day of shooting and we were shooting a scene that was extremely difficult. But nevertheless, it was, you know, Ben Richardson, who's his uh, uh, faithful uh, cinematographer, who then became a great director on Yellowstone and 1883, just has such a calming influence. Again, great director. He has such an extraordinarily calming influence uh, mm. and, and, and really puts you so much at ease and knows exactly what he wants. Uh, yeah, that I, I really felt that I, you know, Taylor Sheridan's right got the best performance out of me. Really, you know, I, I, I had such a razor sharp uh, idea of who the character was because of how well that character was constructed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Your character in this series, um, yes, is it is such a brutal, brutal role. Yeah. Um, it is. You know, yeah. 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 Um, you, you know, you, you, you play this uh, Roman Catholic priest at an Indian boarding yeah. school. And, um, I, I want to ask you as an, as an actor, um, how difficult is it portraying such a villainous character? I mean, do you, is there like a, is there like a cleansing period after you, you, you do a role like this? I mean, how much of that stays with you? Um, talk about that. Yes, uh, you know, uh, when I read the scripts, I was taken aback, you know, a little taken aback by the character, um, because when you're doing a fictional piece of work, when you're playing a, you know, whatever, a vampire and everything, you can be a, as horrific as you want, because it's, it's not really based in reality. This, you know, and, and, and I give so much credit to Taylor Sheridan for, for talking about the American Indian cause, you know, uh, in Yellowstone, the reservations and, and in 1923, he basically has the incredible courage to talk about the the, the tragedy of, of, um, of residential schools for American Indians and how what a blight it was on our history. And it's true that you know, um, I thought to myself, how am I going to be able? Because you know, there are scenes that, that you haven't seen yet that are very, very, very difficult to inhabit. Let's say, and I. I wanted to work on it, but I had reservations. I thought to myself, can I do this? Is it possible for me to do this? You know, because I am recre this time recreating an unbelievably horrific and dark chapter in our history. And I thought to myself, can I do it? Can I do it? And, and, and then I thought about it for a while and I thought to myself, you know what? This is a necessary moment in history to talk about it is important to talk about especially in our age of future disinformation in certain areas of our country it's important to talk about the history it's not only important to talk about the good things it, you know people are always like now let's not talk about politics uh, let's not uh, let's not talk about bad things no we need to talk about how we got there and the pain it inflicted on a massive swath of the original people of our country we're talking about the indigenous, the original uh, um, people of 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 America, of northern North America and South America, of course. So, yeah, it was very difficult. And I actually, before certain scenes, uh, you know, uh, Moses brings plenty, who's on uh, uh, Yellowstone, you know, 
who's Gil Birmingham's right-hand man, who's an extraordinary figure in the, the American Indian movement. He's, he's, he's a, someone who is a consultant as well, you know, both on Yellowstone and 1923. I have to admit that, you know, I went to him and I had to go before we were doing a certain scene and I had to go and, and, and apologize, you know, for what we, you know, for what we were about to recreate, because there were some young women who were there. And I thought to myself, you know, we are about to recreate something that is truly, as I said, a dark chapter in our history. We're recreating pain and, and triggering pain for you. And I, I, you know, I just want to apologize for what we're about to do, for what we have done in the past. Uh, before we do this scene, I need to clear the air. And, you know, so we, we had a moment and I thought it was important to do because I became, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was emotional because I, I, I felt so terrible about, you know, it, it sounds like I'm bringing everything back to me, but it wasn't that. I, I just could not do the scene without talking about it first. And then we did the scene and, and, uh, and it was painful, but, uh, again, I think a necessary, um, yeah, necessary to tell that story. Yeah, necessary to tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. It's, it's, it's very challenging, but I think we need to be challenged. It's important for the, the public to be challenged. Uh, I don't believe, you know, our art form, movies, filmmaking. Yeah. It's fun sometimes. I like to be challenged personally. I like to go see films that challenge me. Yes. Um, yes. That's, that's, that's my thing. And I don't always, you know, I'll, I'll go see a big, you know, uh, superhero movie, but I, I really much prefer to be challenged, to be shocked and, and um taken in by pure poetry or subject matter that might be difficult yeah that's yeah. just the way i am right yeah i mean i'm always curious just because you know when i watch something where something is is brutal whether it's violent yes. or you know yeah. just as an actor you like how you have to go for it i mean you have to go as far yeah. as you can go if that's really what what happened you know i mean yeah. you're, it does and, affect you but it's great you know now i know more about what happened because I did my research. It's important. I know more now. Like, you know, like uh, suddenly people start talking about the Tulsa massacre uh, in Watchmen. In Watchmen, HBO. yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, um, and, and Schindler's List or, or, you know, this extraordinary film that remind me, reminded me of Elie Wiesel, uh, uh, Son of Soul, uh, you know, because you've seen, you know, uh, or, or all these films that have uh, a, a historical uh, political element to them are, I think, necessary to, to our art form. Yeah. So Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. I mean, in 1923. <laughs> so I've got a good Helen Mirren story. I, I, I do don't have stories wonderful. about everybody, but yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is one I have. <laughs> so, um, I used to own a, um, art house movie theater out in oh, Palm Springs. Really wonderful. And, uh, we were showing a movie that starred Helen Mirren. I don't recall which one. It was not like a, it, it was, it was not one of her biggest movies, but she came out to do a Q and A. And beforehand, I was like, all right. So I want to make sure Helen Mirren's coming. Uh, yeah. And I want to make sure everything's right in her room. And so we yeah, yeah. got her a suite and everything. And she was coming, uh, with, uh, her, uh, her husband. Oh, yeah. Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Hackford. Hackford. 
And so I talked to their assistant. I'm like, so, so what do they want in the room? Like, a, you know, what do they want to eat? What do they want to drink? And so he starts lift, listing off things that, uh, the tailor likes, like, you know, he wants dried fruit and roasted almonds and, uh, and, you know, a bottle of this and a bottle of that and red wine, this and all that stuff. And I said, yeah, but what about Helen? And the assistant said, Oh, for Helen, it's just vodka. The more Russian, the better. <laughs> and I was like, that is so friggin' cool. Does that mirror your experience of Helen Mirren? Is that kind of who she is? I mean, she's fun. She's so much, she's so approachable. You know, we're here next to a legend, you know, Dame Helen Mirren and so unbelievably approachable and very sweet. And then suddenly could, can, you know, turn on a dime in her role. I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah. And become such a, fierce actress yeah yeah i mean she's super fun you know we go out you know we'd go to you know to butte to, to to have a drink with all the cast members and she was there she was like oh yes wonderful how are you? you know she, she's so cool so approachable and so such a lovely lovely person i remember i mean meeting her for me was was amazing because i you know i i go all the way back to excalibur you know excalibur because yeah. i mean everything she's done i've, I've seen you know like prime suspect everything and it's just amazing to look into those extraordinary, extraordinarily expressive eyes. And she was like, oh, oh, my God, you all have the most wonderful blue eyes. I guess I was facing the sun and my eyes were like <laughs> popping. And I was and I was like, oh, my God, Helen Mirren just told me I had the most wonderful blue eyes. Like, That's it. I can retire now. No, it was, it's just, and she's so cool. I mean, yeah. and they're so cool together, you know, because they work together and they crack jokes at each other. And they're just very... Yeah, they're like old buddies, but I mean, look at them together, you know, and I can see the way Harrison sometimes, you know, sort of throws things at her just uh, because he's such a generous actor. You know, there's a scene in bed where he's like, you can barely see him. He's in the shade. He doesn't care because the the, the bouncing off each other is so good. I mean, look at them together. It's just family, yeah. fabulous. And, you know, I've never seen Helen Mirren really with a gun. And I was like, damn, yeah. she, she can, she can hold a gun. <laughs> you know, so this woman can do no wrong and she's as gorgeous as she ever was. Yeah. It's that Russian heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Fierce, fierce, uh, Russian heritage. <laughs> yeah. So I want to throw something at you. Uh, you're yep. on social media. You yes. wrote a thing and Sue and I have completely different opinions on this. Sue, you didn't know I was going to do this. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You wrote a tweet about Babylon, the movie Babylon. Yes. And you said, it's incredible. It's an incensed, bold, beautiful, inventive, fearless whirlwind of a film. It's a work of art and direction, photography, production design, costumes, brilliant performances, and ode to the madness and beauty of our fabulous art form loved every minute. Now, Sue yes. and I have very different opinions on this movie. Yeah, yeah, Sue, yeah. Sue didn't care for it. I did. It's a very love-hate movie. I know a lot of people who say... I can totally know, understand. Babylon didn't work for me. Okay, let's, let me just preface this, okay? Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. on a trip. I have a travel trailer with my husband. <laughs> By the way, okay, yeah. Sebastian, we had a big argument over this on a previous Oh, podcast. you know what? That's yes. the great thing about movies, you know? Yes. It's, 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 debating is one of the... It's one of the oldest... Uh, uh, oldest not art forms it's it's debating is one of the oldest human uh, interactions that we have it's important sorry i'll i'll, I'll stop no 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 so that's a, a, that's a great point so i'm i were lying in bed in our travel trailer and we're watching <laughs> it on my <laughs> 16 computer? or oh, 15 no. screen computer <laughs> and um 
I, I, it, and maybe because we didn't see it on the big screen, I don't know, but like 10 or 15 minutes go, go by. And I'm not somebody who quits on movies, Yeah, but we, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go further. And then, and then I do talk to people like Steve and he was like, you know, did you see this part? Did you see that part? And it was like, no, I didn't see that part because I only, I, yeah, I quit yeah, early. Yeah. So I told him I'm going to watch it again. Oh, nice. I, th- <laughs> I think you should because it's funny. I went, I started watching it with all, you know, knowing about, you know, uh, uh, with all the sort of uh, preconceived ideas uh, because I'd read reviews and uh, I'd heard people talking about it. So, you know, luckily through SAG, we can watch it and I put it on my, I put it only on my TV. I, I have a pretty big TV and I started watching it thinking that it was going to be terrible. And I started watching it and then I continued watching it. And I, after three hours, I was like, wow, I just watched something that was really bold. Do you know what I really love is courage in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You know, I love, that's what I feel, I feel sometimes lacking. You know, this is someone who went, the whole hog. He's like Paulo Sorrentino. Now, Damien Chazelle has a, has a point of view and he's going to just go to the end of it. And I really felt that he was like, I want this to sort, sort of be a picaresque approach to filmmaking. And, and it worked with me. Of course, you know, I'm in the arts. I understand a lot of what goes on, but at the same time, I, I just thought it was just a gorgeous piece of work and the performances. I mean, Brad Pitt in this movie is it's actually the best performance I've ever seen him mm. do ever I think uh, truly truly it, incredibly moving performance if you you'll see, I mean you'll see uh, uh you know that young uh, actor Diego Calva what a revelation yeah Diego Calva yeah he's like a young Javier Bardem uh uh cuz at first you know he looks very pretty and everything but he has this incredible fire and of course, Margot Robbie, who's like, I really, really appreciated, you know, all the elements of that film because I look at everything, of course, you know, the photography and, you know, it's not trying to make everything look beautiful. It's just the way he shot it. He was just having so much fun. And it just kind of washes over you like the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just like kind of envelops you and you feel part of that world, which was a fascinating time in the history of, yes. of film. Because we were making that transition to yeah. uh, the talkies and the talkies, who made yeah. it and who couldn't and yeah, all yeah. that. So it's just such a fascinating, fascinating movie. It kind of leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth at the end. Yeah, you know, yeah it honest. does. I, I, I had really weird, wild dreams after it, afterwards. I really had, but it challenged me. And I was like, yeah. yes. It's like, you know, I watched White Noise. Have you seen White no, Noise? No, I've not seen that. It's based no. on the book. Yeah, yeah I read no. the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, I mean, you know, it's not going to be exactly like the book, but my God, there was another, I mean, Noah Baumbach went all out there. He was like, yeah. I'm going to have, I'm going to go all out. And, and, you know, you see Adam Driver, who's one of our, our most fearless actors right now. Yes. I mean, his choice, his choice in roles. I mean, that, there's a fearless actor. There's like a, he's like a seventies actor in 2022. He is. He? <laughs> he is. He'll, he'll, he'll grapple Star Wars, but he'll go do uh, Jim Jarmusch and, and then he, this, him in that, it, he's brilliant in this. And so, is, sorry, I, pardon me. And so is Greta Gerwig. I love Greta there Gerwig. There are scenes in this movie that are laugh out loud funny, but also so, so 
incredible, yeah, so incredibly, uh, 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 what's the word? I, I, I got, um, imaginative, you know, yeah, yeah, so original. And, uh, and the end, you know, is the, is the, the basically the cherry on top. The end credits blew me away. I was like, this is a guy who understands what filmmaking is all about. Mm. It, he, it's, it's like, yeah. He challenges you. He exhilarates you. Oh my God. I love that film. And you know what else? There was, there were, there, there were some movies this year that really, and everything everywhere all at once. Mm. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. That's how filmmaking, this is what filmmaking is all about. Yeah. You know what it is? I, I like to see things that I have never seen before. Yeah. And like, I can say that about everything everywhere all at once. Never yes. seen anything like it. And the performance, Michelle Yeoh, you realize, you know, Michelle Yeoh, I mean, what a performance. And Kehui, 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 Kehui Han. No, Kehui Han. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, incredible performance. Someone who is, you know, 30 years later is coming back as a truly emotional, deep, sensitive actor. I mean, I love that. I just love it. You know, yeah. that's yeah. where I love filmmaking. That's where I go, ah, you know, our art form is just. That's why, you know, making 1923 is just what a delight. You yeah. know, here I am, I'm like in my costume and I'm thinking, wow, look at that. We're recreating history. Look at these beautiful, the production design in 1923. You know, yeah. I look at, I look at these things. Our set decorator, you know, Carla is just genius, an effing genius. She's just, and, and the costume, Janie Bryant, you know, my God, these people as artists, the, the, the camera guys, you know, the, the operators, you know, the relationship you have with them. It's just so, I, I, all of us, you know, there are tons of really well-known character actors, Tim Decay, James Badgedale, uh, uh, Brian Garrity, uh, you know, I'm, I'm missing some. And all of us are like, holy shit, we're pinching ourselves, guys. Yeah. On this, with Harrison Ford. You know, we're like, Tim Decay, I said Tim Decay, I guess. Uh, it's just so exciting. I'm yeah. so glad to still be excited. And Harrison, my God. The passion on this guy. He's, I mean, this guy has seen everything. He's the biggest movie star in the world. We've, yeah, what, you know, truly. And he's still so excited to talk to you, to work, to talk about the word, the script. And that's so great to see. Yeah. Same well, listen, with Helen. listen, Sorry, 1920. I, keep, I, I can keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I could, I could talk all day, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, so, somebody's telling me we should wrap. Uh, <laughs> uh, 1923, it is great. It is streaming on Paramount Plus, a great prequel in the Yellowstone universe that stands alone. It stands alone as a, as a great series. Uh, yes. Sebastian, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate thank you. it. Thank you so much. I mean, it's, you know, I just want to add, it's an eight hour movie, guys. And, and the last four episodes are, extraordinary wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I just wanted to, i'm plugging it because yes. I love it. Uh, well we're <laughs> all you. over it as as you, you should be thank you yes thank yes. you so much that was such a pleasure and there is sebastian roche you didn't know <laughs> we had that disagreement <laughs> on babylon and i kind of sprung it on you there sneaky pete <laughs> you know it's pretty amazing um the disparity uh between people on Facebook talking about this movie. And even when he mentioned white noise and I had heard really horrible things about white noise, Yeah, but I'm going to see it now. You know what I do? I, and I, I'm serious about this. Like when I'm going to go to the movies, I don't read rotten tomatoes. I think rotten tomatoes is bad for the movies. I don't yeah. want to have a preconceived notion when I go into a movie theater, to see a film. No, I, I, yeah, I, I don't like it either. Um, but 
you know, sometimes I'll talk to friends of mine. And then what I've realized um, over the years is that a lot of friends of mine, and you are one of them, mm-hmm. sometimes we just don't have the same taste. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. We had very different on our Oscar show. We had very different takes on Babylon and Top Gun. Yes. That's the other one. And, and it's not to say I didn't enjoy Top Gun. Right. I right. I just didn't think it, it, it warranted to be best picture. Yeah. I got you. I got right. you. Well, uh, thanks to uh, Sebastian Roche. Uh, the show is great. 1923 is great. As he said, Taylor Sheridan, he's he's the man. He's the mm. man. He's fantastic. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at SteveMason.com. Hey, everybody, leave us a rating and a review. Sue, great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>